Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Wanted. Somebody to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. P.O. Box 91, Ocean View, Washington, 99393. You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. I only have done this once before. Safety not guaranteed. This is an ad in a newspaper at the beginning of a film called Safety Not Guaranteed, in which a group of reporters find this ad in this local paper and decide to investigate it. And they find the man who placed the ad, and of course no one takes him very seriously. They write him off as crazy. Without giving too much about the film away, because it is worth watching, it's a good movie, Uh, let's just say that the man was not as crazy as the reporters thought he was, And I like the film quite a bit because you have this guy that folks are so ready to write off who turns out to be the sane one. I was thinking a lot about this part of the story as I meditated this week on Genesis chapter 6 where God instructs Noah to build this giant ark and of course Noah obeys. But can you imagine what it must have been like to be Noah? First of all, we know from the chapter that we read that, that he's surrounded by such great wickedness. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Those instructions from God probably came off as a bit eccentric, maybe not so much to Noah, who had a great faith, but probably to his neighbors and the the surrounding community. I mean, can you imagine the conversations that might have been had between Noah and the neighbors as he's building this giant boat? And of course, this is all happening without there being great signs of a coming flood. It's not like Noah was was forecasting the weather five years out and thought that there was some sort of sign that caused him to build this boat. No, God just told him to build the boat. And presumably, Noah works on it for years without the slightest hint that it would actually be needed beyond what God had told him. And yet, how does our Old Testament reading conclude? Thus did Noah. According to all that God commanded him, so did he. That's a little bit of a repetitive ending to that chapter. And I think that the author of Genesis does that on purpose. He wants us to really get that Noah obeys. We get no sense that Noah wavers. No sense that he second guesses. He just builds the boat. And I think this ties really well with what Deacon David preached on last week. Namely that Jesus doesn't see us as servants but as friends. And that if we, as his friends, love him, we'll keep his commandments. Noah's a prime example of that principle. He's a friend of God. And I think that the response that Noah gives, this obedience that the text so painstakingly points out, can be categorized really only as faith. Faith means obedience to what God says, even when it doesn't make sense to us in a given moment. Faith is hard for us to have. Because we don't always see the big picture, at least not in full. What makes it even harder, of course, is the fact that not everyone around us has faith. I mean, this is especially true for us now, and it's becoming increasingly true, that we live in a world where many people have not received the gospel, or if they have, they've rejected it. St. Paul warns us about this in 1 Corinthians 1. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved... It is the power of God. 
this inability or, or maybe unwillingness to understand the things of God is precisely why people lashed out with violence and insults against our Lord. I mean, at one point in the gospel narratives, the Pharisees think Jesus actually is possessed by a demon. But this shouldn't surprise us. In fact, Jesus reminds us in John 15, if the world hates you, ye know it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So the world reacts with violence. They react with insults. They think that those of us who believe are crazy. And this kind of pressure is really hard for us to resist. Our brains, the human brain, is hardwired for conformity, for fitting in. We hate standing out. And yet this is what we're called to do. The world beckons us like the sirens. If you read uh, the Odyssey by Homer, you know, there's, they go through the, the part of the ocean where the sirens live. And they're calling out and Odysseus has to have a, himself tied to the mast of his ship so that he won't jump out and drown trying to find them. We also have to resist that call of what distracts us from obeying God. It's important to remember that at the heart of faith is this idea of trust. Obedience, like what Noah did when, he came to, when it came to building the ark, is trusting that God knows even when we do not. If it's true that God is the creator of the universe, then can't we trust him to know what's best for us? And flip that around for a second. We begin to discover something insidious about sin. If obedience is trusting that God knows, what are we saying when we disobey? That we know better than God? This is the sin of pride, the primal sin, the root of all other sins. So the only viable response to God's commands is faith. Faith is an active trust in God that works itself out into our actions. There are times in life where faith may not seem to make sense. Somebody gets the promotion over you even though you probably deserve it. A marriage falls apart. Someone close to you dies unexpectedly. Faith may not make sense then. Yet the point is that faith is always worth always worth it, no matter what the consequences are. Fear not them which kill the body, Jesus says, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The world changes constantly. It lashes out. But we're called to something deeper, to something more steady, stable. The baptismal rite says we're called to fight manfully under the banner of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil. Before bed each night, Caroline likes to sing hymns to the boys, and they get to pick which ones they'll do. And they've been on a real kick lately where I think they sing like five or six different hymns, and every night they'll, for five or six times, say they want to sing the song, Trust and Obey. Trust and Obey. It's a really simple but beautiful hymn. Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I've really been thinking about it a lot because they make us, since we're singing it six times a night. The hymn is so simple and beautiful and profound because I think it gives us a way forward. To trust and obey is to live a life of faith, and to live a life of faith is to trust and obey. What does it mean to really trust, though? I mean, these are words we throw around in Christian circles a lot, but what does it really mean to trust? It means to have confidence in someone else's character, strength, or ability. 
It's Noah building the ark because he trusted God's word. It's Joshua marching the people of Israel around the city of Jericho seven times because he trusted God's promise. It's the woman who struggled with bleeding in the Gospels, who reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment because she trusted in his power to heal. Northwestern University has, a, uh, has an institute there called the Trust Project. And so they look at this idea of what is trust? What does it mean to trust? And they've broken down four features in someone else that makes them trustworthy. Benevolence, integrity, competence, and predictability. So benevolence, of course, refers to kindness, acting from a place of well-meaning for the other person. If, If you know that's where someone's coming from, it's much easier to trust them. Competence is that ability to complete something successfully. Predictability refers to steadiness or stability. Integrity means honesty and consistency according to moral principles. It's important for us to build trust with others. We want to trust the right people and we want to be trustworthy people. But ultimately, there's only one place to look for trust if you don't want to be disappointed, and that's in God. Because all those criteria for trustworthiness, benevolence, integrity, competence, predictability, are summed up in God. They find their perfection in God and who he is. So we must trust But the other facet of faith is obedience. Obedience is a form of submission to a superior authority or law. For the Christian, we understand that there can be no higher authority than that of God. We understand that when he gives us commands, when he gives us laws, it's coming from him who created all things, who knows all things, who has our good in mind. I think one problem we have sometimes is we think of obedience as a very mechanical process. You say jump, I say how high, right? And, and there's a sense in which we have to think about it in some ways like that. I mean, when we're teaching our boys to do something, we say, you know, when, when mommy and daddy tell you to do that, you obey. You say, okay, and you obey. Now it's not the time to argue, complain, ask a bunch of questions. Just do it. Because of course, you know, that's for their own safety. If they run in the middle of the road and we say, don't run in the middle of the road, we, that's not the time to have the debate. <laughs> we'll have the debate after they're out of the middle of the road. So there is a sense in which we do, learn, uh, we do learn obedience through a kind of mechanistic response, but at the same time, the kind of obedience that we're called to in the scriptures is not purely so mechanical. In fact, this is Jesus' problem, I think, with the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, right? Because he's talking to them, and, and they're saying, well, we don't murder. We've never killed anyone, and great. And most of us probably can identify with that. We can check that box off. But Jesus says, but you can't even get angry with your brother, It's a little harder to check that box off because it's not just about the outward actions. It's about who we are. It's the internal dispositions as well. And so obedience is active. It's much more than that mechanical response. It requires us to give our whole beings out of a posture of trust to God. Obedience is participatory. When we obey God, when we actually do what he says, We're playing a part in the unfolding of his great plan of redemption. We're playing a part in his kingdom. And of course, this obedience is very humanizing. It doesn't make us robots to obey God. Quite the opposite. It makes us human beings. We talked about this on Trinity Sunday. What were we created for? We were created to worship and adore God forever and ever with the whole company of heaven. Anything less is a failure. 
So every command he gives us, no matter how big it is or how small it is, is designed to make us who we are. It's designed to bring us to that end. And so that's what we need to be reminded of today. Trust and obey, trust and obey, trust and obey. We're bombarded with tons of idols attempting to to convince us to trust in them and obey them. We're told to trust and obey political parties and politicians. We're told to trust and obey the pursuit of wealth and class. We're told to look inside and trust and obey ourselves and different facets of our identity. The world offers us a plethora of alternatives of what makes the good life. But the church and her scriptures constantly call us to trust and obey God. Maybe that means we'll look crazy to the world. Maybe our safety won't be guaranteed. Maybe we'll feel at times like we're alone. But it all comes back to that trust and obey. If we really believe God is who he says he is, it's the only option for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.